When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the latest episode, the first one of 2022 of the Brighton Rock Podcast with me and Peter. Um, Happy New Year, Peter. Happy New Year, Russ. Haven't seen you for a while. I suppose you've been in a drunken stupor for about 10 days or something. Pretty much, yeah. Not much else, you know. And we will be chatting all things Albion with you, Peter, of course, but also we have a special guest with us, a man who pretty much always only goes by one name. A lot of people will know him from round and about at the Albion, round and about in Sussex, and of course on the famous North Stand chat as well. It's Shibo. Hello, Shibo. How are you doing, mate? Good afternoon, Russ. Yeah, all good. Thank you, matey. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, pleasure. It's a pleasure. I haven't seen you for a while because I haven't been able to get to the bloody Amex the last two home games. Um, for keen listeners, you'll be, you'll know that, um, or you might know that Shibo's on the same row as me in the West Upper front row and uh, making all the noise, aren't we, Shibo, normally? Well, we try, we try. And it's, you know, it's been pretty, it's actually been pretty decent, even uh, the, the sort of Brentford game with that many people missing. We, we still made quite a racket up there. And I think people did sort of try to make up for. For the lack of numbers and and because of the ridiculous kickoff time, to, to be perfectly honest, we all know that with the trains and the and the public transport and uh, yeah, thanks very much, Sky. But th- those that did attend really did get behind the Albion, and it was uh, it was one of those sort of occasions again. Although although the you know the support was halved, it was uh, it was a good atmosphere again, and um, I think we helped the players, and I think the players responded to that as well in that game. But um, but yeah, we have missed you up there, Russ. Uh, well, I'll be back soon. I'll be back for the next one. I don't think there's any chance I'm going to be missing that one, I have to say. Um, <laughs> not unless there's another lockdown, anyway. Uh, the Palace game, of course, the next home match. Um, you were there, of course, referring Chivo to the Brentford match. Um, and I think you're right. It was. I think the, the figures we're now hearing are that it was between fourteen and 15,000. So you're pretty much dead on in terms of the half um, numbers. Um, but the last time we had that was um, Man City, wasn't it? Um, Again, made a hell of a racket uh, in that game when I was, I was at that match. Um, did I mention I was at that match, Peter? <laughs> Bit of a I running joke. Uh, I didn't know. Uh, I, I, I think I was there with you, wasn't I? We, we were in our normal seats, and uh, yeah, the atmosphere for that one was also. also no, no, I was, in, I, was, I was in the north for that one. 
Oh, were you? Oh, uh, okay. I, I was yeah, in the normal seats. But it was, again, it was another atmosphere where the, I think the fans just thought, you know, we, we've got to make a difference here. We've got to step up. And, and, and I do often think that sometimes with that, that sort of adversity, the numbers come out and actually make themselves heard. I, I, I do feel that we could do could do that with 30,000 in there and get the place really, really rocking as it does sometimes. Um, same with, with all grounds where, um, you know, you'll always have your, your more vocal sort of sections. But, um, but, but, but yeah, I, overall, as a, as a general, we're going quite general here, but uh, the Amex atmosphere, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with it compared to a number of the other grounds around the country I, I've been to. I think it's, it, it's right up there with a lot of them. And um, no, there's no sort of, uh, you know, no drama and no sort of Italian uh, wannabe hooded clad scarf waving people there, either just making a world sound or talking about um you know south london or, or the pride of south london every two seconds and it's it's not droney it's a nice atmosphere there i wasn't thinking of anyone in particular no one in particular i was just saying that some some uh, some english atmospheres are, uh, are, are nice aren't they at some grounds it's also good that there's no obviously no gold music or first names of players out <laughs> to, for fans to join in when goals are scored, you know. Gold music. Like, I mean, how absolutely. Can you get? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, it took me. It took me thirty seconds, and I've already got my first dig in. Sorry. <laughs> Good man. That's what I like to hear. Um. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, well, the plan on this one, we are going to talk about the um a little bit more about the Chelsea game, just to go into a few more details. Because I know you wanted to have a, a another dig. Actually, will be on, on that subject. Um. And also, Peter, I haven't got your views on that. So we'll probably have a little bit of a chat about Chelsea. We're also going to be welcoming onto the show a little bit later on, quite soon, in fact, um, Nick and Alistair, who have both been on the show before, our Northwest correspondents, both in the Manchester or Greater Manchester areas, and they were both at the Everton game. So that's coming up later on. But before we get into that and before we welcome them on, um, Sheebs, just to get your background information, um, your Albion support, your history, your Sounds story. Sounds very official, that. <laughs> your <laughs> yeah. background information. <laughs> Except the bill I said sheaves, yeah. But anyway, yeah, um, no, that's all right. Yeah, t- yeah. Tell, yeah. Us, tell us your story. Well, it's a it's a funny one actually. I think I, was, uh, I think Russ met my mother actually not so long ago. My mum's actually from uh, from Essex. Um, my dad's actually from near Coventry, so they actually met at Brighton Uni, um, and stayed down in Sussex ever since. And obviously had had myself and my brother. So it's a basically my first Albion game was 1991 it's not a hard one to remember I was only four years old but it was 1991 uh, and it was the Dean Wilkins free kick against Ipswich um, last minute and I was right behind that goal and I didn't know what was happening when everyone ran on the pitch but I remember thinking whoa this is mad um, and I still to this day remember that Wilkins free kick hitting the back of the net and um, yeah as I say I would have been um, four and a half nearly five years old and, and I literally remember it to this day I remember a lot of a lot of fond memories of the Goldstone. Um, we always had chocolate raisins. I was reminiscing with my dad the other day. It was always every time I have a chocolate raisin, it reminds me of the Goldstone. It's just weird that little things like that give you a bit of nostalgia, and uh, and the memories come flooding back. But but yeah, my, my dad used to take myself and my brother to to probably sort of I don't know four or five games a season at the Goldstone. Um, we were living about sort of forty five minutes away from there. Um, lost touch a little bit, admittedly, when the Albion went to Gillingham. I did. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I did have a little bit of a follow the crowd, Man United phrase in there, and, uh, and what have you. But um, yeah, don't don't shoot me for that. Um, but I was only again about ten, uh, ten, eleven. But, um, but 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 always followed the Albion. Just didn't go and watch them because obviously the, the the fact the home games were were being played at the the, the dump of Priestfield were uh, was not good. And I think we did lose a generation of supporters there. But I started coming back um, on my own to games quite a lot at about the age of fourteen about 14, 15, I used to go to with Dean a lot on my own and um, a lot of my dad as well and soon got season tickets and met a lot of people at the at the club and um, 
I've been been there ever since really as a, as quite a regular so um so yeah I mean my first game at with Dean actually was that Southampton on the September 11th when we lost 3-0 in the league cup um which I, I don't think certainly for me as a, a as, as I don't know what I was then 13 14 something like that it hadn't sunk in just how big a day that was really um uh, and just felt a bit weird the atmosphere did did feel weird there um but I do remember also thinking how good it was to watch you know Brighton my hometown club who have always always supported and always followed back in uh, back in the county where we belong and um and and yeah I, I suppose I've I probably used to go away a lot more back in the with Dean years, <laughs> and, and I've been I've done my Tramiers, my Wiggins, my Stockports, my Stokes on a Tuesday night, and then um, when you sort of uh, have a bit more commitments as you grow up, we, we suddenly started getting good, and we were going to Arsenal's and all this sort of thing. So I've not really done as many aways as uh, as I used to um, now, really. But um, but that's uh, that's the, the way it goes sometimes in life, isn't it? But um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much me, and um, uh, just won't ever. Uh, It'll always be part of me, and, and I'll always have that that love for the Albion, really. Brilliant. That's great to hear. And I suppose you're expecting pitch invasions every time there's a win or something now, aren't you? Well, I, 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 think I, got, close, I got close to the pitch of Virgo's <laughs> header against Swindon, um, but I managed to restrain myself, although I think quite a few uh, a few thousand ended up on the pitch, and what a night that was. I mean, that was absolutely fantastic. And um, one of my best Albion memories was, was getting absolutely soaked in the day, drinking in Brighton, and then... The misery, thinking, "Oh, we've done it again." It's typical us, and uh, and then Ferg's popping up with that header. That was one of my one of my big with Dean memories as well. And um, but but yeah, you can't beat a pitch invasion when it's when it's allowed, when it's meant to be allowed. I suppose, um, shall we say? Absolutely, and the weekend game where apparently we weren't allowed, but we sort of ended up on there anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a hell of a night too. But that Southampton game is weird because I just remember that was. Um, I was picking up my missus from central London when you could um, you could still drive into central London without the congestion charge. Drove down. Uh, the, the, the news was just breaking because was, she was on a half day. It was two o'clock our time, nine o'clock in New York. And when, when it hit the um, the trade centre thing, and we, we had the whole journey down in the car, just listening to the radio, old school. There was no, no visuals at all. And just hearing it unfold on the radio was really bizarre. There's like elements of War of the Worlds about it in a, in a way, you know, the Orson Welles thing on... American radio, it sort of felt a bit surreal. I thought, is this a wind-up? Can't be happening, surely. Um, so it was, it was quite a bizarre um, event. And then getting down to the game in the evening and um, seeing that match, as, as you said, was 3-0, wasn't it? We lost. It was 3-0, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can remember it, actually. I can, I can probably remember the scorers. I might might be wrong, but might, was it... Um... Uh, Austin Stat, Austin Stat, Leo Austin Stat, or someone like that. Yeah. Austin Stat, yeah, you spout for Southampton. I think he might have might have notched them, but but yeah, I do remember. I remember it being a very a very strange evening. But that was that was my first game back at uh, back at with Dean, um, yeah, and back really, you know, getting in amongst it, I suppose. And then since then, I just started going uh, going regularly, and um, and that was that. It was uh, it was back, and it's uh, been there ever since, really. <laughs> Brilliant and happiest memories. I mean, would you say it's that very first game, the Dean Wilkins free kick game? Or, it, it, um, the thing is, I can, I can remember the ball hitting the net. I can remember the pitch invasion, but I can't remember a great deal else. Um, happiest memory? Yeah, I mean, I suppose Cardiff for the playoff final would would have to be up there. Um, I do think that Virgo that Virgo header has to be up there. I'm not going to uh, ever deny that one. And um, I suppose some of the ones beating Palace have, uh, are always very special um, special to me. Um, much as I hate the games against them because it's just too much, but um, but but yeah, um, certainly the Cardiff 
always sticks in my mind, not because it was a good game of football, because I think as Charlie Oatway said afterwards, we, we set out to spoil the game uh, and we did exactly that. But it was more just the, the, the magnitude of the occasion, having 30,000 Albion fans in Cardiff just sort of showed that we were that sleeping giant that, that most of us knew. Um, but but also that, uh, you know, it's kind of proved to quite a few people and reassured us all that, yeah, if we get the new stadium, then we're going to be we're going to be putting in some good attendances here. Um, uh, and that's just the, the whole occasion for that really, uh, really was enjoyable. But, but to be honest, there's been so many obviously going up to the Premier League was that uh, was brilliant. I do think the the journey was better than the destination um, uh, overall. I'm not going to sit here and moan about it because it is the best league in the world and, and it is a pleasure to be part of it. But sometimes it's a little bit demoralising playing against. Uh, all sorts of money and all sorts of teams with, with, with money from various places but um, but, but, but yeah uh, I'd say if I was to pick one I, I probably would say Cardiff mm. oh, Good good a decent choice I think definitely Peter that was a classic day wasn't it and um, I think yeah I mean you mentioned today in the modern day now and we've, we've come up against all sorts of money teams unfortunately Newcastle are going to be added to that soon aren't they well they already are there but in terms of their uh, you know, the actual squads that they're going to have. Um, but recently we've had the Chelsea game and um, I know you you wanted to have a bit of a dig about them as well. And I did a bit of a solo analysis afterwards, but I haven't spoken with other people on the podcast about the Chelsea game apart from a little bit in the stadium during the game. Um, but overall, I thought we had a brilliant match in that game. Um, definitely deserved the draw, arguably deserved the win. Um, I haven't had a dig about the Rudiger incident yet, so we might, if anyone wants to talk about that, they're welcome to. Um, but I know, Chibo, you were saying about um, the fans as well. I think you, you enjoyed the... Um, yeah, the, you know, it, 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 it was element. So it wasn't even a uh, it wasn't even a general dig at, the, at them. I mean, they were. I didn't even realise there were fans there. They were that quiet. To be honest, all you could hear was the Albion. But <laughs> fantastic. But but the, the comedy element of the fact that we're playing a team that have got all that money and all of the, Lukaku was worth more than our whole starting eleven, I think. Um, and um, the the fact that they kept the ball and then did the whole chucking it up in the stand thing, which which is something that frustrates us all and um, don't get me wrong we'd do it as well but but it was just the fact that they were Chelsea at home doing that against us it, it really it kind of like just niggled me that it was fair you can see it would niggled Solly March as well and I think um, the picture of Solly saluting the Chelsea fans once we'd scored that, uh, <laughs> that appeared afterwards sort of showed that me and Solly were a lot thinking on the same lines there but I just thought the absolute comedy value for Welbeck to, 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 to nod that ball in at the end um, and obviously the scenes in the away end but the fact that they were keeping the ball about two minutes earlier for the second time and not giving it back um i just thought absolute comedy gold absolutely in your yeah, face they, they did this twice Brilliant. that's the thing it wasn't just once it was twice. yes it was immensely flattering to us and actually speaking of comedy gold one thing i didn't mention on the other podcast was and i slightly missed only slightly caught it was one of the guys keeping it kicked the ball straight into the face of the guy next to him. <laughs> yeah i've heard i've heard about it yeah yeah you can actually hear it on the audio you can hear a bit where they're all jeering and from the Albion then. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> but there you go. Even, even more funny that Welbeck rose up there like a salmon and nodded that ball into the corner, eh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Peter, yeah. Were you going to say something about the... Uh... Oh, no, sorry. I yeah, it's it's just, yeah, I, I think it's quite, it's quite funny. It's always amusing when you've been teams like, yeah, yeah well, time wasting and it costs them. But yeah, the Chelsea are hoping to us to do it. Their fans to feel the need to kind of show how well we played, really, I suppose, doesn't it? I think from the moment they... That we were the better team for the last hour, it must have been or whatever it was, and they didn't really look like scoring at any point. That one breakaway they had when Hudson Odoi should have probably done better. 
Um, but also there might be a little bit of a cut for a penalty because it suggests that, that the replay suggests that Feldman maybe had his arm down or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Um, which ironically is not the one he was flagging when he was talking about the penalty to um, Tuchel. So, um, but yeah, I thought we played really well at Chelsea. I thought we, or maybe I've done all three games today over Christmas. We played really well, and yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I genuinely think it's down to uh, my comments before Christmas has really kind of inspired Graham Potter to greater heights as manager. <laughs> yeah, everyone's saying uh, on, on our WhatsApp group saying, oh, yeah, it must be uh, he's listening to the podcast and obviously taking his tips from us. Why wouldn't he be? I mean, obviously, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, what you were saying yesterday, he hasn't played Pascal Brush at left back since we said it was the wrong move at Burnley. So, you know, I mean, there's it, it, no logical reason why he wouldn't have done that other than he listened to us. Yeah. Yeah, we 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 should just mention we've got um Alistair and Nick joining us today. Alistair's come on and dropped back off again. I don't know where he's gone. He might be back in a minute, I suppose. Um, Nick is just waiting in the wings. Nick, if you do feel the need to join a little earlier, you're welcome to join in at any point with the discussion we're having at the moment. If you happen to have caught caught sorry any of the game, but the Chelsea match, we're going to have a couple of um further. It, it is good one. though with all the problems around the team, so we've got a, you know a deep squad that we can call on in times of need. You know. Got, well, we talk about the uh, the podcast lots, squad. Lots yeah, of op- yeah, on the pod, lots of options and uh... <laughs> yeah, off the bench. Yeah, yeah, we've got a few injuries. A bit of I'm going to be a one game wonder, boys. Don't you worry. You won't have me on again after this. <laughs> You're the Aaron Connolly of the podcast. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah, I can be. Oh. I can be. <laughs> <laughs> he has been confirmed, by the way, on the way to Middlesbrough. We might as well get that bit of news out of the way now we've mentioned him. Um, the devil incarnate for some Albion fans. I, I just wish him well still, despite, you know. Absolutely, to absolutely. If he can go there and, and, and find a bit of goal scoring for me, he proved against Swansea in the Cup. They were two good finishes that he yeah. did. And I know that there's a lot talked about with Aaron off the pitch and uh, you hear this, that and the other. And none of us know for definite. Um, you know, it's a shame about um, some of the things that appeared in the papers during lockdown and stuff. But, um, you know, if he can get his head straight and if he can go there and actually prove his ability uh, and, and, you know, bang in even half a dozen goals in the championship, I, I think that'll be be good for him. And we have to remember he is still quite young. Um, he does get a lot of stick. He probably could improve um, his attitude a little bit from, from what we do know. Um, but, but, yeah, of course, he's still an Albion player and I'll be looking out for Middlesbrough's result um, uh, big time, like I have been with Stoke, although that guy doesn't seem to play, does he, that Seymour, he's been injured and what have you. But, it's, yeah, it's really, it's, I mean, for us, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? I mean, it's, I don't understand why any Albion fan wouldn't wish him well because, you know, if he, if he either does really well there, he either comes back and maybe does well with us or he gets sold to a, a championship team and we all know how, you know, players who score goals in the championship go for a lot of money, especially at his age, so... You know, if, even if he doesn't quite make the Premier League, if he, you know, able to get, I think to get us like five, ten million, ten million, even you know, in a sell on, if he does really well in the Championship for a year and a half, say on loan or something like that. So. Yeah. At this point, then we will welcome in. We've got Alistair and Nick have joined us now. There was a lot of non-video and and disappearances going on there for a while, but we have got them both in. So we'll welcome you both to the show as well at this stage, guys. Welcome back. How are you doing? Hi guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. New Year. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Nick, your usual neurotic self. Great, great to see. And um, we were just in the process. Uh, we've got Shivo with us as well, although his, his video is broken, so we have, we've only got him on audio um, in general at the moment. But he is there, um, and he, we were just talking together about um, what is Albion story, and then on to talking about Chelsea, uh, the Chelsea game, just a bit more about that. The, the, the two digs I haven't got in yet were about the Rudiger challenge, um, which I think should have been a red card. Certainly, a very strong case for it. He completely left the ground and lost control. Um, 
and that's a world-class player supposedly that four or five of the biggest clubs in the world are currently pursuing um, but he couldn't handle our man uh, without pulling him down and the other one was um, further rantings about Tuchel who's, who's obviously ranted after the game and post-match when we played them but he's taken the trouble to have another dig about the refereeing in the post-match for his uh, Chelsea game against um, Liverpool as well so I don't know if you guys wanted to weigh in as well with any digs here and, and Shibo of course as well um, far away boys anybody got anything to say on those two subjects I, I completely agree on Rudiger I think it was uh, I mean the comments been made that he was so far ahead, he was quite far ahead of Lampy, so that's why he was never really in danger which is why it was, wasn't a red card but I think that makes it even worse when he could have clearly come across and stayed in his feet and, and got to the ball why leap two feet quite well into the air with two feet and, and, do, and potentially even then put any sort of risk player at risk. To me, it was as clear a red card as you'll see. It was like, they always say, you know, obviously it was going quite quickly. He had two feet off the ground. He went quite high. I don't get what part of it's not a red card. It, it just seems ridiculous. Yeah, anyone else care to comment on this? <laughs> I only saw it on the highlights. Situation. Yeah, I only saw the highlights of it, um, of that match. But um, yeah, I, I watched the extended highlights. And, and, and from what I saw, it really did not look good. Um, but at the same time, yeah, hmm. we're, we're the sort of team that don't get those types of decisions, I, I suppose. Um, if yeah, if that had been Duncan on, uh, uh, Duncan <laughs> on Lukaku or something, yeah, probably different. Oh, could you imagine? They'd, be, they'd still be talking about it now in the national press, wouldn't they? And Tuchel would still be uh, moaning about it, um, yeah, weeks later, and uh, it would have made huge headlines everywhere, wouldn't it? And it would definitely have been a red card. Um, and, and that is one of the things, even with the VAR um, being brought in, and um, you know, I, I like elements of it. I think they've improved it this season, but I still feel it's the same people operating it. And it does seem that those big six or those big eight or, or whatever they are now, they do still seem to get the decisions. And uh, <laughs> we've got to change the, I don't know, I don't know, change the thought process because there always seems to be a thing where the, the home team or the big club seems to seems to get a rubber green with those sorts of decisions, um, certainly. But, um, but yeah, I suppose that's uh, part of football now, isn't it? Being a, a minnow in a, in, a, in a big pond, as it were. Yeah, well, you, you said about um, the downside of being in the Premier League is that thing of coming up against sort of like immense wealth in some of the games. And I guess that's another part of it, isn't it, really? The the decisions going against you. Not that we ever seem to get our fair share anyway. Um, maybe that's uh, just a, a skewed view, I don't know. But definitely the Premier League is a thing and um, it's it's ongoing. It's just a further extension, isn't it, VAR, of, of, of another way of maybe overruling Anyone who's insolently given a decision against one of the big six, dare they, dare they ever do it? They can have someone else wag their finger and, and sort of like whisper unsweet nothings in their ear. I did hear something interesting the other day. So they're talking about VAR and, you know, when the referees go over to the monitor and they're basically like, well, that's, it's basically given when they do that and they go over um, to the monitor pitch side. And I think one of the commentators, can't remember who it was, it wasn't our game, it was a random game I was watching and they said, uh, only once have I ever seen the, the, the referee go over there and not give it. And, and can, can anyone remember what, what game that was? Um, we played Tottenham last year. Didn't we? Lampty's goal was given despite them going over to the board that the, the camera wasn't there. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, you that. could be. I was thinking it was Aston Villa with Solly March with a penalty when he took the ball and they sent the ref, the, the ref I over. That, I think they, they, they one, given two, the penalty one. already for that one and he, they, were, they overruled it as a result of bar, I thought, last year for that one. Oh. I know they'd, they'd given the penalty. I thought the referee went over to the monitor. It could well be that I've got confused there and it is Lampty, but I knew it was one of our games because I was thinking that's definitely one of our games where the referee actually, and it actually went in our favour, but uh, it'd take quite a strong 
quite a strong referee after having to check the pit side monitor, being yeah. being basically told you've made a mistake to, uh, to to then overrule it. But whether it's March or Lamptey, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, that very rarely does does happen, especially when you've got um, you know uh, fifty thousand uh, Manchester United. Uh, followers bellowing or whatever it may be so um yeah I, I must say Nick and I said exactly that uh, at the Everton game uh, when the referee was called over to look at the screen for the penalty decision uh in the first half and uh, we said okay right they're going to get a penalty now aren't they and and sure enough they did mm. uh fortunately for us I think that ball is just about to land with some ice on at the moment from the ionosphere <laughs> uh, because it went so high over um Goodison Park that it um yeah probably collected quite a quite a few meteors from the film don't look yeah, up these- but, the um, yeah. commentator, as Johnny Cantor was, I was listening to the commentary because I couldn't uh, watch the game. I was actually out working in between times, but um, he he was saying the same thing. You know, as soon as it goes to referral, it tends to be there's there's something to overturn basically, and that's that's almost invariably the case. He said that, and I heard it elsewhere over the weekend with another game. Um, so it is it is seemingly par for the course now. Um, speaking of which, by, by the way, Shiva, I know speaking of the Everton game, you mentioned off air that you um, were unable to watch any of that at all you, you're normally at games and if you're not at games you're watching um on uh on tv um but you actually didn't get a chance to follow that at all for a chance. no I, I decided to go and support support my boys for our, our veterans football team and um it started absolutely hammering it down and it was a whole miserable experience and uh but obviously livened up by the fact my phone was going and saying we're playing really well we, we scored we're playing really well we scored and uh yeah i've, I've watched the subsequent highlights a few times i watched the extended highlights but again it just shows the the absolute character of this team um i mean we, we've been on that winless run but I wouldn't even call it a bad run because we'd drawn at Anfield in there we'd got some really good we turned a lot of a lot of defeats into points in that time although it was annoying we hadn't won and then to go and beat Brentford the way we did who are obviously a very strong um, sort of unknown quantity still as such but to go and beat them the way we did um, and then to turn up at Chelsea play the way we did dominate last parts of the game and show the character to get that equaliser I just felt we were going to go to Everton I just had a feeling we were going to win and, and never ever as any of us thought that at Everton um, it's normally a guaranteed defeat really but we've just sort of turned that corner where we are we're competing in 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 all the games okay maybe man city um at home i suppose first half they blew us away but second half they perhaps took their foot off the gas but maybe man city aside but but you always feel like we're gonna have our chances in the game we're always gonna be in the game still at some some way shape or form now and uh never felt never used to feel like that the last the, the first few years in the premier league um and i do feel that it's absolute credit to to, to Potter and to all the team there, but also to the to the players and their belief that that we're just we're going to these places and we're not even we've not even over celebrate you know we've not even we, we won at Goodison Park for the first time ever we got three points away at Everton we drew away at Chelsea and it just almost feels not expected but quite natural I, I don't know I, is this the best it's ever going to get I, I, I'm thinking it could be maybe not maybe they're even about... better. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree what you're saying to you about competing, though, because I remember that game, I think it was near the end of Newton's final season. We went to Tottenham, I think. And we yes. Out of our half, we just dug in. I know we were on pretty poor form then, but we sat back on the edge of our area and hooped to hoof it up to Andoni, I think, initially, and then Murray to try and hold the ball up. And we lasted about the 89th minute. Yeah, know? Christian Eriksen. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was not enjoyable. It was just basically just like holding no. on, desperately defending for like 90 yeah, minutes. Yeah. And we, just, yeah, we don't do that. And I think City, in a way, was partly down to us being a bit naive and a bit too attacking against them because we, I think I said at the time, we pushed too far forward and we had a defence too far up the field and they kept getting in behind us. But it was almost our, our aim to really challenge them that was the problem that day. It wasn't that we didn't really, it would really compete. It was just that they were just too good for a team sitting on the halfway line with no pace at the back, I think. 
And actually, with the with the Everton game, actually, I, w- I would say I'd argue that was one of the games where we really weren't in it at all this season. The earlier game at the Amex, which was a terrible yeah. performance from us, we were lacking some some players. We were lacking pace in that game. That was the big issue. And if I remember rightly, we had um, I think it was some um, Grosh and and moderate fullbacks. Yeah. Um, so that really didn't help. Obviously, Lamptey wasn't in at that time. And we really weren't in that game at all. Clearly, yeah, Graham Townsend lot... destroyed us, didn't they, that day? Yeah, they? yeah, oh. that's right. And, I mean, they'd lo- luckily for them, or they thought so, Gray was back and Calvert-Lewin was back for this game. It was certainly a different kettle of fish. It was always going to be from our side with our squad having better a better opportunity in this game than the other one. I actually fancied us for the, I, I predicted a 3-1 win, nearly got that right as well. Um, but two people that were at the game and were there to enjoy a historic first win at Everton and also our first three-point haul, a uh, three-goal haul of the season as well, for good measure, uh, was Alistair and Nick. Let's bring Nick back in on this one because, um, I mean, you know, you're, you're usually quite neurotic about the Albion until until even at 2-0 up. I, I bet you were sitting there and 3-1 going, we're going to screw this up. We're not, we're not going to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I, I did predict 3-0, if you remember. Uh, before oh, we, you before did, actually, game. yeah. Yeah, because I, I had a sneaky feeling about this one, that we played so well at Chelsea. We'd done well against Brentford. I just thought we were on a roll. And I thought, yeah, this has got, this has got us suddenly going big, big-time scoring, just had that feeling about this game but I just want to say because everyone says oh you know we dominated that first half and you know we really deserved you know that win when you look at the stats I don't think we dominated that game it didn't feel like we dominated that game but I don't know what you thought Alistair but when we sat there watching it we were always on edge we never felt that we were putting it to bed and you always felt particularly down that left wing I know the goal came there second goal and came from the right wing but it just felt like there we were they they were never out of that. They were never out of it. And they always felt like there were goals coming from Everton. And I know Everton are slagging off their team at the moment and really ripping into them if you go onto their social media and then their um their TV channels and things like that. But for me, it always felt on edge. And I was being negative. What do you think, Alistair, at the time we when we were discussing it watching that game? I know pitch side is always terrible because it's terrible sightlines at Everton, isn't it? You get a very bad perspective of the game. Can you hear me, Alistair? I think you're on mute. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and let's face it, the, the ticket, the seats that we had last time we were at Everton, we we couldn't even see the ball when it went above head height because we were right at yeah. the back of the stand. But this time, we we did have a lot better sight lines, and we actually we could even see the corner flag, um, that far corner flag. But um, yeah, no, it it didn't feel to me that we were dominating, although I could see that we were playing well. Um, uh, but you always felt that they were going to get us. Uh, you'd always, they, they, they looked like they had opportunities. Uh, and obviously, if it weren't for that penalty going over, uh, then, you know, in theory, we, it would have been a three-all game. Um, but, yeah, but we, yeah. we, but we, but we certainly made the opportunities and we certainly had the chances, I think, to, to have won it really comfortably. It's just a shame we had a couple of sort of sloppy, sloppy bits of defending. But equally, an Everton fan might say the same about them as well. Um, obviously, Dunk's free header um, for the corner. Um, that was... Uh, that they could have done a lot more, a lot better there as well. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I agree. Conceding from a corner against us isn't really very clever, seeing as they could only one we scored from all season before that. Yeah, yeah. But I was, I was just thinking that when we were watching it, and, then, and again, they said Coleman. I, I, tell me if I'm wrong because you used to watch it on telly, get a better perspective. But Coleman and Gray down that wing seem to be causing us problems all the time. Um, now, when I've watched people commenting about Coleman, they said. What was he doing? He was playing on the wrong wing. He was never going to cause problems. He just felt all right, all 
afternoon they were causing us problems. I don't know what you guys thought when you watched it on the TV. Well, I watched it back. Um, Sky broadcast it at 10 in the evening in, in its entirety. So apart from the fact they started it late and I recorded it, so I missed the end last 10 minutes. But apart from that, I, I thought, yeah, I think we had the, the balance of the game in our favour. I agree about the thing about the stats. I, I think they bear out that it wasn't actually that dominant a performance. It was just when we scored and the fact we were in control from early on in terms of the scoreline was probably fed into that that notion that we were actually more dominant than we were. It did have more of a kind of like an industrious sort of nature to it, this game, I thought. Um, and it was interesting. Yeah, they put Coleman onto that side and they had um, Gordon obviously operating down on the left side and he, he was doing pretty well. But yeah, Coleman and I, I guess they were trying to negate the threat of Kukurea would have been the... Um, would have been the obvious thing there. Um, but they would, well, yeah, there seems to have been some falling out with Luca Dean as well, between him and Benitez. Yeah, That's yeah, him and Benitez. Obviously, he's a, there's a lot of Benitez. people criticising him for not starting Dean a left-back. And yeah, and Benitez is just fine to start a right-back at left-back when you've got a left-back who's well, one of the best exactly. Premier League probably available. Yeah, we're not complaining, but yeah, I mean, it does seem it does seem that they've signed a new player and that he had a dig, didn't he, saying he wants to play for this club, which obviously is a, a dig at Dean, who apparently doesn't want to play, wants to move on. But you know, and anyway, that benefits us. I'm not complaining, but it, it did seem, uh, yeah, it did seem that they were they, they were a threat coming forwards, um, even though we got the early goals. Um, I actually recorded back the Saturday, I think it's the BT Sport, I can't remember what it's called, the, the, the Saturday match day coverage, the one that Jules Breach normally does, but being a Sunday, she wasn't on there. But um, they had Sidwell monitoring our game, and he said that we were playing with personality, character and resilience, um, which I think is probably like a better way of describing this game, which maybe stands out from the way other games now being played might have been described, which is more to do with verb, verb confidence and endeavour or something, you know, might, might have been better word. So I think that kind of summed it up pretty well, actually, Sidwell's comments there. Um, it had that bit of bite about it, didn't it? I thought Everton were really dirty. We'll get into that in more detail in a minute. Maybe, I, I can but... understand also defensively why we'd have a <coughs> two issues, because, I mean, Burns played three games in a week, having not really played that many all season. Webster's only just back from injury, but Dunk's out, obviously, is our main defender. You know, we can understand why Lamptey was out as well, or did, didn't play for the first hour anyway. I can understand why we'd be a little bit you know, dodgy at a back baby sort of thing because, yeah, we haven't had maybe one or two players not available who would have played normally, Dunk especially, and Webster getting back to fitness. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we should... Uh, it's bad, isn't it? We, we, we're lacking these centre-backs, but you've got a spare thought for, for Chelsea. They didn't have any fit wing-backs for the last game. So I think we, we shouldn't really, you know, but yeah, begrudge our luck too much. I mean, poor Thomas. Well, he played a lot. He played Marcus Alonso, who's obviously full international, very experienced. I can't remember. Oh, Aspilicueta on the other wing. So he only had, the, you know, the Spanish internationals. You've got, you got a feel for him, haven't you? We had to have, you know, Dan Bernat. It was more than sufficient cover, but he, poor teacher was there with, with bare bones. Uh, and we're here moaning about our defence. Exactly. I mean, Tuchel does my head in because he, yeah, he was talking about the schedule. And I know he's talking in relation to the title rivals, but, you know, he's, he's moaning about that. But he's thinking, well, he, he's come up against us and only got the draw. There is part of it as a digger, uh, the fact that he was, he was playing us and we were supposedly weaker. But, yeah, we had players out. We've had players out all season. We've I think they only football. had four players out. And, and he didn't. The, the worst thing was he didn't offer anything about our performance there when for large parts. So we go back to Chelsea again here. I switched again. Yeah. Uh, but, but for large. 
for large parts of that game, we were we were comfortably a better team. We deserved at least a point. Probably, probably should have even nicked it. Um, and, and his post match interview was all about them and bemoaning their luck and the referee and all this all this sort of stuff. We're yeah. sort of turning a blind eye to some of the decisions that quite clearly went against us. I mean, there's still still an argument there for that first goal with Lukaku. Okay, uh, I think Malpe did did grab him, but I think the first elbow was about the same time that he did grab him. So, you know, it, it, there's certainly a lot of fifty fifty decisions there that went their way as well, really. Um, there's a class that goal was allowed last season. They seem to have changed the rule about. I still find it very odd that that. I mean, that was allowed, but also the um, one at Burnley as well. Both yeah, I guess they set the precedent for it at Burnley, didn't they? When 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 Tarkovsky, I think it was, just absolutely yeah. ran through. And then, the, as my dad calls it, the Alan Shearer law on match of day, where he said, well, if he's not looking at the ball, then you could just run through him and do what you want. Well, no, that's not the laws. You can't, no. you can't run, you can't just run through on, you can't, just because he's holding him, um, with, with, with the Lukaku one, um, yeah. is, is for, to be a penalty? Probably not. Doesn't mean you can then fling your arms out twice. Um, so, yeah. so again, I, I actually, I'm not glass is on here, but I actually thought that, that probably should have been disallowed in my book. Um, yeah, I think yeah, it's easy for Nil nil and eleven v ten at halftime, rather than one nil down and eleven v eleven. Yes, yeah, quite. There was, the, yeah. there was a Pulisic penalty where, um, also, you know, that might have been given last year. He's already on the way down. There's a contact as he's falling. Uh, they might have still said, well, it's still a contact when the ball's in play, or uh, and that's a penalty. And now it's different this year. And Tuchel seems to think that should have been a penalty. And there's the handball thing, which is another thing. But I mean, it was gracelessness, isn't it? Because you know, I think they they're likely to finish third this season, and I think they're third in the graceful stakes amongst the top three as well, because Klopp and Guardiola can get people's backs up. But when all said and done, they will give us some credit in their post-match analysis, usually. And and Tuchel, as you said, no, he didn't do that at all. And yeah, it's frustrating dropping points in the title race, obviously. But there's no need to to be just so skewered in that. But you're talking about um, the Sarkovsky thing. Dermot Gallagher, I've had enough now. I'm going to stop watching it because it's just an extension of the refs' union. What's the point in him being on there? He, He, You said about Shearer. He justified the um, decision um, for the, um, the, the, foul, the, the the Tarkovsky thing. He said um, that's, you know, Morpé is trying, he's not looking at the ball, he's just trying to block off the player. That's his role, it's established. And what's happened is that Chelsea would have seen that as well. They would have played it along the same lines. But he's sort of seeming to say he's just there as a blocker and it's tough shit if he can't stay on his feet when he's being shoved violently off the ball. Um, but, I know I mean, that, the thing I know was that in both occasions is different, but... It he wasn't said, like he, he was, was holding him at the Kofsky. time. That's what's frustrating. I understand. He was saying Tarkovsky wasn't a foul. He's saying yeah. Tarkovsky didn't foul him. I think, are you seriously a referee? And you're saying that wasn't a foul when Tarkovsky yeah. pushes him into the goal and then heads it in and then has this smirk on his face as if I can't believe this might get given. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, 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 Gallagher's but, a waste of time. Anyway, yeah, sorry. I, I, know, yeah. but I, just, I just, but both the Burnley goal and the Chelsea goal. I think it's Chelsea, though, isn't it? Why, why were they yeah. putting Malpay on the wrong... Why was Malpay the guy there? Yeah. Why weren't they... Yeah. I don't understand why they stick him... I think him. I think their idea is they have the zonal marking with the big guys at the back and they have the smaller ones in the front um, sort of to try and disrupt them uh, rather than be man-to-man. But, but yeah, it is obviously a... A huge mismatch having it having anyone really on that pitch other than maybe Dan Byrne, um, Duffy yeah. and Duffy, they were there. Webster. Well, but but I, 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 my, my point is, you got Dan Byrne marking these guys all through the match, and he comes to a corner. He doesn't mark. Yeah, them. yeah. What's the point of that? So and he's had the better of him all through the match as well. Yeah, you're quite yeah. right. You know, I'm sure they did an interesting piece of the, after the Man City Leicester game about about Leicester doing exactly the same thing and about how City basically just bypassed their 
by putting it deeper or near post. And yeah. all the Man City players, bigger players, were there then. So the, the basically against smaller players, and Leicester conceded about three goals from set pieces that day because of that, because they literally yeah. had their big men not marking anyone, and all the City big men were just like targeted in the, the back post and heading it across. And I think one goal was directly scored by Laporte or Diaz, and the other one was set up by one of them. And yeah, they were yeah. basically beating Rogers and Leicester and the and the whole zonal marking thing. I still don't get why players why teams do that. It's been so many times you look at it on match today and it's like such a bad system compared to man mark. Mm. Yeah. Well, we had Webster couldn't play in the Chelsea game. Of course, he was just coming back into the equation. So maybe, you know, maybe we could lament things Thomas Tuchel style because if he was playing, we'd have another big man involved in the marking operation perhaps instead of Morpé. Um, yeah. You know, we were all, we've all got our crosses to bear, haven't we, eh? Yeah. Um, but the Morpé thing, I mean, the, the penalty against Man United last season, I know there's lots of controversy in that game, but ultimately he's in there conceding a penalty with his hand. He seems to get into those positions and gets into difficulty doing so, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. As you said, Nick, it doesn't seem like the right thing. You're right, Shibo, that um, definitely it's a zonal marking thing and it's picking up the loose players on the far side and so on. But it, it, um, it seems like there could be a better system to deal with them. Particularly, we need to do something when we've got less of the height on the pitch. Yeah, it's certainly a swing, swings and roundabouts type type thing. I always think with that, sometimes zonal um, works well um, as long as... They, what, what the problem was for the uh, Lukaku goal was that Veltman missed the header, didn't he? Uh, Veltman was the guy in the zonal sort of near post there and he, he missed that header, um, which... You know whether he misjudged the flight of the ball or, or, or whatever, I don't know. But um, yeah, they're, 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 there's always there's always ways of improving set piece defending. I'm sure every single team will, will say oh, we we're not very good at them. But it's whether you go man for man, whether you go zonal, that, that they can both be effective. They can also both be uh, be, be ineffective and uh, and shoot you in the foot a bit. I, I think it's it's part of football, really. It's one of those things where it's never always going to get you're not going to stop every single corner because teams practice and practice these things throughout the week, and there's some very very good headers of the ball and very good crosses of the ball um, in, in the Premier League, as uh, as we know. I mean, I used to love Darren Curry swinging the minute with Dean. That was, uh, you know, used to be my highlight. But we're at a different level now, Russ. We are. Absolutely. As a turnaround on on set pieces, I think we've improved a lot over the last three games as a team. I wonder why taking them. McAllister's made a huge difference. Yeah, to that I think he's he's a lot more. Grosh, I think, has had a pretty poor season set piece wise. He hasn't really mm. offered. What he normally does, and one or two others have tried and not been great. But McAllister seems to be really good set piece wise, and actually done a really good job overall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think that's certainly the case. And um, yeah, I love McAllister. It's good that he's getting a run in the team. He started these the three games and we've got seven points out of nine, which is pretty good going. He's been involved in a lot of it. Obviously, the two goals in this game against Everton, which we'll go on to talk about. But um. You know, overall, he's had a good contribution. He hasn't been perfect. There's still bits he needs to work on. But definitely the set pieces, uh, we look a lot more threatening. He's a guy who likes to get his shots off from the edge of the area as well. And I think generally he's had those blocked out most of the time when he's attempted to do it. I'm wondering if now he's getting this run in the team, he's getting a, a smell for the game a little bit more and he's able to, to sharpen up the timings of when he can get those, or maybe in terms of finding the space, a little bit better. Um, because obviously, you know, he, he got a shot off in uh, the game at Goodison, and that's for sure, um, as well as having, of course, been involved in and then finishing the first goal. Uh, sorry, the, yeah, the first goal that we scored as well. Um, but anyway, we'll maybe talk about that a little bit more in part two. We're going to have a quick break there. 
Um, I don't know if Shivo's going to be able to hang on or not. Are you, Sheebs, for these? Um, I'll, I'll bow out now, but I would, um, yeah. if, if you have me again, I'd love to come again, but, uh, but yeah. thanks for having me on. Um, and, on yeah, I'm, I'm a keen listener, so, um, you know, I, I, nice to see all you guys uh, face-to-face, as it were, on here, and um, keep doing the stuff you're doing. Brilliant, lovely. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you on. We definitely will get you back on. You did make one brief appearance um, drunkenly in the pub at Brentford, which I've got to... Yeah, I don't really remember that, Russ, very well. I didn't. I obviously <laughs> didn't realise you were recording a podcast at the time. I think, <laughs> I, was, uh, I, think I was sort of staggering around singing, we're bright, never have and we'll do what we want. But <laughs> it obviously worked because we did do what we want. We scored at, just at the end in the last minute and took the three points home. So uh, maybe yeah. I had a, a, you know, a, a vision. definitely okay well I'll I'll see you at the Palace game where we'll hopefully be sticking it to the opposition as we've been doing so often with games recently um, namely West Ham Southampton Chelsea um, and hopefully it'll be and Palace of course and maybe we could do it again with Palace so I'll I'll fingers crossed fingers crossed my friend (laughs) excellent thanks for joining us Shiba take care guys bye Shiba nice to meet you cheers take care So, yeah, so part two then. Uh, thanks to Shivo for joining us for part one. Part two, we've still got Nick and Alistair with us, which is great. You guys are at the game. So let's talk in a little bit more detail about that then. Um, first of all, match day experience. You, uh, was it Alistair you met up with a couple of, uh, an Everton couple, didn't you, pre-match? Yeah, it, well, it was needs must, wasn't it? So we were in Spoons <laughs> and needed somewhere to sit down uh, and, and we sat next to this Everton couple and had a, had a really good chat to them, actually. Um, but, they, but we did say to them, oh, don't worry, we never score off corners. We never score set pieces. Um, and they said, oh, gosh, this is all happening again. Because the last time we had a conversation with some Watford fans who said the same thing, they absolutely passed, pasted us. So um, so I, I don't imagine they had a great feeling at the end of that. But uh, but no, we, I brought him around and, uh, and and we looked after them uh, for, for like for being nice. And we had a good old chat to them, actually, because he'd lost his father only a little while ago. So oh, right, um, right. poor guy. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, it was nice to sort of have a chat to some friendly friendly locals and, and yeah, really genuine genuinely nice couple so that's good they're normally a good bunch aren't they i think yeah. generally i haven't got any particularly bad impressions of everton fans from personal experience anyway nothing i can no. remember but um, no. anyway so, so you guys are lucky enough to be at the game so when you got into the stadium first of all you at least could see the match which is great compared as yeah. you said it was very nearly occasions. didn't because our tickets didn't arrive because of COVID. Oh, yeah. our, our local post office, more well, my local post office is completely shut down at the moment. We've not had any posts for about three weeks. Um, so I had to get some duplicate tickets, but very good, um, good, good service from the ticket office. So a little bit of a credit there for, um, for oh, the great. ticket office. But yeah, no, we, we managed to get in there. Yeah. And, and, and as I said earlier in the, in the, in the first part, our seats were so much better than they were last time uh, because we were able to see above head height. So that, that, was, a, <laughs> that was a bonus. Uh, but yeah, if ever you go to Everston, don't sit in the lower tier at the back because you won't you won't see a thing yeah i said yeah. that sort of area is terrible isn't it it's like if anyone puts a flag down you literally can't see anything barely yeah. yeah i know you've got all the tradition with an old ground and you've got you know you've got the character you've got the history the memories you've got usually a good atmosphere you can generate in those old grounds as well yeah, even yeah. palace managed to do it in their their old heap um but the, the drawback in all cases palace included everton included um is just the sight lines. There's so many blind spots in those grounds. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. On the upside, of course, um, Everton are moving. Yeah, well, they're planning to move. It's going to take a while to build the stadium, but they, they are 
gradually starting to count down the games at Goodison, mm-hmm. which is another good reason we got that winning while we could. And um, definitely, it's great. Um, and what a great win. I mean, the three goals we scored, um, I mean, one of them was a well-worked goal. It was a, a kind of one-on-one finish in the end, but it was a really well-worked goal, wasn't it? Um, I know you were just saying off air, Nick, you couldn't really see much of the goal at that end in terms of, you know, the distance and everything. But um, it was it looked like a pretty good passing move. Um, linked up well, McAllister gets in, gets the return ball and pops it past the goalie. That looked, looked pretty good. How did it look to you guys? Yeah, I think the, those first 20 minutes, I know I said earlier that we, we didn't dominate as much as it sounds like some of the commentators said we did. But those first 20 minutes, everything we did, we had a real purpose. It was a, obviously, you know, that sort of kick on from the Chelsea game where we played so well. And I don't know how many moves. I mean, I've seen is it about 15 passes before they set that goal up. Something, something ridiculous like that. Yeah. It was super. And unfortunately, we couldn't see how good it was because it was just a sort of bobbed around in the distance. And it looked like initially it was a header that had gone in. And it wasn't a header. It was a header down, wasn't it? Which is yeah. beautifully cushioned. But we couldn't see that from our distance. All we knew was it had gone in. And obviously, then the jumping around happened. But... Uh, looking back on the TV afterwards, absolutely superb move. All the build-up, the pass out to the right wing, the, the clip in, the, the header on, absolutely superb. Yeah, the assist um, being Morpé there, the, the cushioned header. It's almost like a looped cushioned header, wasn't it? That's kind of stretching yeah. a bit to do so, but yeah. it's I think incredibly difficult technique. Brilliantly done. Mm. The whole move was great. Uh, the lofted ball in as well initially. Um, I think the assist in this game, we'll talk about the other ones later, but there's some great assist elements to these goals as well. Mm. Um, and it was it was a beauty, an absolute beauty. And only in the third minute as well. I hadn't even tuned into the commentary I was, <laughs> by that point. I hadn't quite switched on and um, we're already 1-0 up um, for superb. Um, to then get ourselves two goals up, um, Big Dan Byrne scoring with a header. Yeah, we've mocked him mercilessly for his heading. <laughs> Well, non-ability, supposedly. Um, you know, he gets up in the box. He's often looking a threat, but never is one. This yeah. time he was. Um, it was a flick header across again. A good little mm. assist. It was from yeah. a corner, wasn't it, from McAllister. Yeah. Flicked and on by Mwepu, on the, who, yeah, yeah. the first of two assists in this game. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, that that basically drew the drew the ball across. and they, There was no way they were going to defend that from there. Um, Byrne was there, and he got his header on target. And we're 2-0 up. That was in the 21st minute. Um, what a great start. Yeah, and, and, and he was in acres of space as well. Uh, uh, mm. So it, it would have been on one of those handlers of a miss had he missed it. But at the same time, well, you know, all credit to him for doing it. And, and again, we just went crazy at the time because to be 2 0 up at Goodison, particularly having uh, Nick, Nick and I also were, were down at the Amex for the, the return game for the home game against Everton. It was like night and day, the two different performances <laughs> uh, where Demari Gray and, um, uh, yeah, um, Calvert Lewin uh, absolutely made us. Yeah, ruined. Well, one, they didn't ruin the your, weekend. But. One of your rare trips Calvert, down was Calvert that Lewin's game. last game. Yeah. yeah. Calvert Lewin's last game was against yeah. us, yeah. wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. 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 But Moepu, just talking about Moepu, those first, tw- well, that first half, he was unbelievably good. He was our player of the first half, if you know what I mean. I know McAllister goes on to win man of the match, doesn't he? Well, in my book, he does. But Moepu in that first half was superb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he, um, and he got to assist as well, to... didn't he, with the, the second and third goals? Yeah. Yeah. That flick few, for the third goal was brilliant. I mean, just the yeah, class. Yeah. Right. yeah. There's I, been a I few Sorry, I think Moepu, I think, again, we haven't got the problem jumping ahead, but he, he sort of tailed off second half, he gave away a few balls that sort of scared us a little bit towards the end. But yeah, 
he was class and that that flick for the third was unbelievable again we didn't quite see it as well as probably would have been it looked better probably on telly than what we could see but it was ugh, unbelievable when you see it back but he yeah he was great I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I just want to talk about Malpe just for a second because Malpe setting up that that first one it, it's only when you can see him at pitch level you see how good he is and what he brings to the team you know everyone says about um oh he doesn't score enough he doesn't score enough but he, everyone appreciates what he brings to the team. You can only see, when you're at pitch level and the sort of line we were watching him at, he, there was one point where he was berating one of the Everton team. I don't know what for. But I said to you, didn't I? I said, look at him. Look at the way he's mouthing off at that lad. Just give in his ear. Just for no reason. Was, yeah. yeah, at the end of the match, he's at the Everton fans telling them what the score is. And <laughs> we're going, what's going on down there? We found out later on he's having a go at the Everton fans. He's a complete... You know, he's one of them players. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah if he was a cricketer, he was he'd fantastic. be a slicer. He was absolutely you know, fantastic during that game. Yeah. He was all over. One of those players place. you love if you have him on your team, but hate yeah. him yeah. fans. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. the other thing is, he, he's he's taking two 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 players with him all the time because they're having to mark him, mm-hmm. and 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 then that makes space for people like McAllister. You know, so yeah. so because he's because they fear him, uh, he, he draws them towards him as well. So that, again, that yeah. makes space for the rest of the team. So he does really good work. Yeah, to me, he's probably the most underrated player we have currently. I mean, he yeah, the, the work as you say gets completely missed by a lot of people. He's still got seven goals this season, of which which takes him to fourteen, fifteen at the end of the season, which is a pretty good return for a player. Yeah. For a team like us, I think it's just that, and, and also, yeah, his, when he doesn't, he works so hard off the ball and hassles so many. We, we do miss him massively when he's not playing, I think. Yeah, and the yeah, funny thing do. was, I, I bear in mind when um, they he wasn't playing and um, Con, Connolly was, or was it um, the other lad, um, Cardi, and he it sticks when it's when it goes up to Malpe, it sticks or he gets the header in or he does. Those other two players, it was bouncing off them and they couldn't control it and they just didn't bring that to the team. Whereas on, on um, Sunday, you know, Malpe was being fantastic. He was holding the ball up, he was spraying it around. He was getting his header to it. He was just being a pain in the arse through the whole game to that Everton defence. So, you know, I, that's what I mean when you think about that um, that setup for the first goal. It, but it wasn't just that. It was all through the game. I thought it was fantastic. I think the Villa game showed exactly what we missed. The away game up there, which is the last, the only away game we've lost all season in the league, showed the exact miss from, from um, Mopé. Because Trossard is not the sort of player that he is. He's a brilliant player, but he did barely got a touch. And I think Lallana did as well. We didn't, we didn't. The ball didn't stick if it went anywhere near them. Whereas that Mope would have put the defence under so much pressure just because just his movement and his work. Whereas mm. Assad just needs to is, is a different sort of player and needs someone to work off. And that's mm. what in Liverpool that that experiment of Trossard on his own up front didn't really work in the false nine position. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you about Mope. I, I do think he's undervalued in terms of the work rate he does by some people. Certainly in, in the media, I don't think they really cover that element of it enough. Um, yeah, he, he he does the job that you look at Lucardi when he came on that sub appearance a few weeks ago, and you, you you compare it in that in that respect. So I think both of them can finish, given the chance. But Lucardi brings stuff to the to the team. Yeah, strikers in general. You could even look at some of the top, the, the very top strikers. Quite a lot of the time, they're not doing much in the whole of the game because they've just got to run around and just follow the play and just be there for, for whenever the moment's there and just um, put the work rate in when it, when it counts. And those top players do it. That's the difference. Morpé does that element. Yeah, maybe he's not a world-class striker, but he is a very good striker. He's worthy of a place in a Premier League team that's upwardly mobile. And he does put the work rate in and he does 
he, as you said, he draws one, at least maybe two players to him, which creates space for others. I remember the Leeds game, there was a lot of criticism because he had a couple of tame shots and it wasn't his best day because of that. But the work rate in that game, for example, yeah, there were redeeming qualities, even when he's not doing the, shall we say, the, the, the big label job of scoring the goals he's still getting the other stuff done and he's he's invaluable in that regard and the share housing <laughs> it's brilliant isn't it you, he is definitely one of those love to have in your team hate to, to come up against kind of guys and i'm looking forward to the next league game. game he didn't celebrate his goal did he which was like yeah good to see yeah, you know, yeah and the brentford fans were wondering if he would yeah, yeah, which is fair play. And I think I, I, people say, oh, I, don't, I don't like that thing where you don't celebrate against your old teams. I, I don't know. It depends how long you've been with them and what the relationship's like. But I don't, if it is a good relationship and a reasonable amount of time, then I think, do you think it's a bit, bit more respectful not to celebrate? I Murray guess didn't yeah. either way, did he? Either time. Yeah, Russell, exactly. Against the other exactly. One. Um, right. There's more shit housing to talk about. And I, I, I want to get on to talking about Mr. Gordon, who was both impressive and unimpressive in this match. Before we do that, though, we should just mention the penalty, which I think it was him that won the penalty, actually, wasn't yeah, it? Was, it was, um, yeah. Which was, I think it was a foul. Uh, I'm, I think you could you could argue that uh, yeah, the strength of the player won against the other, but he did shove into him. It did look like it was just inside from the TV view, but they weren't sure on the commentary yeah, at the so time. It was right in front of us, so because yeah, it, it was at our bad. end um, yeah. uh, in the first half, uh, and, and it... It was the frustrating thing was there was no need for the tackle because he was running yeah. towards us outside of the penalty area. So it, you know you let him come out of the area and then you go and tackle him. Uh, you know you know because he's running running towards you anyway. Uh, he's running towards the the, the sidelines. So and that was the I suppose that's what we got frustrated by. But at the same time, you know, um, I I mean I still there's still no reports as to whether or not that ball has landed back in the back in the atmosphere or not. But. Uh, but yeah, we'll, welcome we'll back, Calvert Lewin. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, it was great to see. Um, it only came four minutes after we scored that second goal. So um, both that and the and the, the second goal that they did score later on in the game um, come hot on the heels, don't they? Which is quite frustrating. Um, you didn't have much time to celebrate your second goal before you're worrying about that penalty, albeit it worked out well. Um, people listening, I, I didn't quite tell the difference, but people listening on the radio seeming to think that the loudest cheer was for that um, missed penalty. Because <laughs> you've got the extra element of scorn and um, schadenfreude and everything else, haven't you, about it, which is always great. Um, and, you know, it looked like we would potentially go on to absolutely thrash them at this point. I'm thinking it's going to be our day. We've got two early goals. They've missed a penalty. Um, and, and things are looking great. However... I want to bring on Mr. Gordon at this point. So when it was 1-0, he made a foul on, I've forgotten who the player was now. Um, he basically put his foot down, studs down on the base of the foot, the, the kind of the, um, the joint of the foot between the um, shin and foot um, of one of our players. It was, I think, it looked initially like he was going for the ball. Then he kind of leaves his foot in. I'm not sure how vicious you could call it, but arguably that could have been a red card. Did he get even a yellow card for it? No, he didn't. Um, now, the ref may not have seen it. Should they be looking at that on VAR? VAR guess... can't do anything unless it's a red, though. They can't issue a yellow. Yeah, but I don't know. So, fair enough on the yellow point. But I'm, I'm wondering if that should be a red card, actually. And um, to me, it looked like it was worthy of it. Um, I'm guessing they're going to think there's a possibility that could be a little bit harsh. It's one of those ones that some people might call an orange card type offence. And at this stage, he hasn't done anything else in the game to to warrant reprimand. So 
maybe there's the benefit of the doubt, but it does feel a bit frustrating that it was missed by the referee because it was certainly worthy of a caution. And as I'll go on to explain in a moment, he had another incident, which I think was a definite yellow card, um, nothing worse, but it would have had him off the pitch. And of course, he was an, an instrumental figure in the game. He won the penalty. Um, if he had got that red card, he wouldn't have got, won the penalty. Not that it mattered, <laughs> made any difference in the end. Uh, but he also wouldn't, of course, have scored his deflected goal at the end. Um, or the, the, the last of the goals um, in the match. So, um, actually, no, it wasn't. Was it the, the he first two, goals? He, he scored both their goals. Was, was it the first? Well, well yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, of course, he scored yeah. both their goals. So he had a major influence on the game. Yeah. Um, a chance for a hat-trick as well. Yeah. Could it, yeah, indeed. Um, you know, he's a very, he looks a really good young player, but he does seem to have a bit of a... He looks like a dirty player to me. Um, the other incident I'm talking about is actually tied in with what you said, Nick, about... Morpay having a go at one of their players. It's all part of the same incident. It was the incident where Lalana was challenging for the ball with Gordon. Gordon runs in. He sees Lalana coming. Shimmy sort of shuffles across to kind of block him. But the way the, the balance of the timing of it worked is he ended up putting his foot on Lalana. Um, Lalana then goes reeling over, and you might remember was down for a moment or two. Mm. Um, they didn't get. It should have been a free kick. The game played on. Mm. Should have been a free kick, first of all, and I think a yellow card, which is what I was saying. Um, and then the, the ball continues to go in play. Eventually, we get rid of it, and um, there was actually almost a chance for a dangerous attack, as it turned out for us. But that, they weren't to know that. Um, then, um, because the, they should have had, the, we should have had the throw. Um, the throw should have been thrown back to us, really, because Morpay actually, yeah, that's sorry, that's what happened. Well, yeah. Morpay cleared it, didn't he? Morpay cleared it, but you could, for, you for could see he clearly yeah. kicked it out on purpose for treatment. Yeah. Um, there was quite a bit of a discussion before the throw was taken. Morpay has yeah. a go at one of their players because I don't know if something was said or something just became visually apparent, but he obviously clocked the fact they weren't going to give it back to us before it was thrown. Then there was a bit of a fuss for a moment or two. Then eventually they did throw it in and it did and indeed did keep it. And that's right. That's when we nearly had a dangerous attack, which would have been beautiful if we'd score from that. <laughs> but um, again, shit housing going on there, not impressed. Yeah, yeah, they're chasing the game. But the, the fact of the matter is we put the ball out to get treatment for a player who was fouled and I think arguably should have been yellow carded and arguably should have been a second yellow card um, and they can't have the grace to give the ball back. Not mm. impressed with them. Thoughts mm. on that? Does that ring a bell? Because that was that must have been oh, on yeah, your yeah. side as well. That was right yeah. in front of us. Yeah, yeah. That, that happened right in front of us and that's when, that's the incident I was referring to when he was mm. absolutely having a go. I think it was at Gordon, wasn't he? He was having a... It was, and it didn't end there. It yeah. was going on the whole game. He was having a go and popping away at him. Um, so I, I don't. I didn't see the tackle, so I can't comment on that. I can't remember that instant. But yeah, what what went on there wasn't right. They should just give us the ball straight back, and we should have just mm. carried on. But um, I, I, I I never got the impression of Gordon being a dirty player. I have to say, I didn't get that. Um, I got the. I got the impression that he was going to be the fool in our side all through the game, which he was. Yeah, um, oh yeah. He, he was I, booed, wasn't he, from when he got yeah. the penalty? Um, but yeah. but I but I again like he, he, it was it was our fault that we gave away the penalty. It wasn't his fault. Um, so I, I wouldn't have booed him for that. But yeah, but I, like you, Nick, I, I didn't notice him being dirty. But that might have been up the other end there, Nick. Um, sorry, uh, Russ, that you saw that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the incidents was much further away. She wouldn't have been able to see that. And I don't remember anything being mentioned on commentary at the time, but it's very clear to see. He definitely mm. catches him. He's, you can see he's kind of leaving something in there um, when the ball's, you know, 
when the ball's going away. It's uh, it's one of those ones. What's annoying about this is we keep getting at least yellow cards for those incidents all the time. The mm. smallest little thing we seem to get, you know, as soon as it's a potentially bookable thing, boom, we get we get the booking. Okay, again, fine if everyone gets that, but it's the inconsistency. Um, mm. That was frustrating. Um, so we, we we can say this, we can moan about this from a position of moral high ground because we won the game anyway so it's not sour grapes we won anyway but i do still get irritated by those decisions but um anyway that was that um one other thing i've got to say i was really disgusted with was um i've seen since come to light uh, an image which i really don't like to see i saw a certain person brandishing a bottle top in the stadium <laughs> would you care to comment on this mr ansley <laughs> that, that, that was a hangover from new year's eve i don't know what i was doing but obviously bottle tops were ending up in my pocket and i thought it was uh... <laughs> this was a beer bottle top actually yeah, yeah. even that, worse, that type of contraband they, they even had dogs they, they even had dogs sniffing us to make when we came in to make sure we weren't bringing in contraband bottle tops but yeah uh, but yeah we you, that you, one you brought a bag bigger than a4 yeah. in you know that sort of thing is just yeah, not allowed well, clearly they didn't do their job properly, the police, because there was a flagrant offender present yeah. in the grounds. I'm disgusted with you, Nick. I'm disgusted. I don't know. I, know. I don't know what Barbara will be saying to me later on if he sees that picture. Oh, you're he probably on the ban list he's already. On, he's a regular listener on the, to the show, you know. Maybe because we read out all the dodgy people carrying carrying all sorts of like, weapons, offensive weapons into the grounds. Yeah. Uh, great. But there's there's a brilliant photo from a friend of the show, Chris, who's at Seagulls of a London member, took a picture of the celebration as well. He was somewhere, I think, just above where you were. But, but actually, in a, a view, it still had a decent, a decent view. He got a picture of the celebration as well, which went, I wouldn't say viral, but it went quite popular on Twitter um, over the weekend, which is great. Um, some great scenes. You've got a couple of videos you put out on our WhatsApp group as well. It looked like um, uh, it was a great day out in general. Obviously, it is with the result, but and meeting those Everton fans beforehand. But what about the atmosphere in the stadium? Was it good? Because you can't really get too much from the commentary, actually, on the radio. It, it, it was for... It, uh, to me, it was very quiet, and I, 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 um, I met my friend. My wife's family are all Evertonians. They're all mm. avid, you know, rabid Evertonians, not just avid Evertonians. Rabid. I met them. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're, they're, they're dotted all around the ground. All of them. There's loads of them, and they're dotted all around the ground. And I've been speaking to them beforehand, uh, a couple of days before the game, and they're not happy. They are not happy. They don't like Rafa, and and it's a, it's an irrational dislike because it just because he is from Liverpool and his connection to Liverpool. And, but they don't like him. And you, you, there, there wasn't a lot of cheering. There wasn't a lot of atmosphere. They sort of got behind the team when they got the goals back. But it wasn't like that atmosphere that you'd expect when you're three, two, 15 minutes to go. It should have been all on. It should have been you know, a lot of noise. Come on, boys, push forward, push forward. But we didn't get that from that crowd. I don't think they're very happy in that in that stadium. I don't think those fans yeah. are behind that team. I don't think they rate that team. Um, they don't rate the manager and they don't rate the tactics. I mean, putting five at the back at home against a sort of middle of the table team that we are. Teams like yeah, teams, teams like, like Brighton. Brighton. Yeah, I try not to use that <laughs> phrase, but <laughs> I don't think. And then you give the penalty to a guy who's only touched the ball twice in the game. He probably wasn't ready to take that penalty anyway. No. Loads of wrong Just decisions. come back into the team as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. playing yeah. players out of position, not playing their favourite player. Yeah. Um, lots oh. of things about that that um, game. You could see, it, you know, it wasn't good. 
it feels like when time. rather than if he's going to go, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. hard to believe that, they're gonna, he's going to be there much longer. Those unpopular appointments from the historical point of view, in this case, you know, his associations with Liverpool, those sort of things never work out well. There's always a shorter fuse. Um, mm. there's, there's less longevity. There's less wiggle room, isn't there? And yeah. what he's done, I mean, it's a fairly expensively assembled squad when all said and done, albeit most of that isn't his players, but still, it's an, you know, it's an expensive squad. And he's kind of turned them into Rafa's Newcastle, hasn't he? Or more yeah. likely Steve Bruce's Newcastle. He, um, this kind of unremarkable lower mid-table team. He, has, he, he did have very little money to spend in the summer, though, in fairness. Um, you know, it's mainly not his signings, if you were saying. It's, you know, you look at the likes of you know, Gray and Townsend were a free... Hmm. What, like one and a half billion? I don't think they signed many other players in the summer. It was last summer under Ancelotti where they bought a lot of players and faded really badly last year, didn't they? Um, you yeah. think, I mean, the amount of wages they must have paid James Rodriguez and players like that. And yet they faded really badly. I just think Everton maybe aren't the club that their fans think they are these days. They've, they've not really had a great season since Moyes left. And even when they have a decent season, they've been, they've been seventh or eighth, which is probably about what you'd expect for their, a club of their size. You know, it's they're, they're not, they've got to maybe look at, you know, I'm sure that, you know, Benitez will go, but maybe at some point they've got to look at the, the background of the club, the owners and the, and the, you know, the director of football and that sort of thing, rather than actually just continually sacking managers. No, I, I mean, also, that's the issue, isn't it? They keep yeah. sacking managers though. So who would go there? It's, it's the type mm. of club where, you know, you would you, if you signed a contract there, you'd want to make yeah. sure that you'd got a long yeah. contract and you had a good penalty clause as well. This is the problem. If you don't have patience with the managers, how are you going to build you know, long-term, long-plan, long-form, yeah. structured. Um, Sancho you know, did leave of his own accord to go to Madrid, didn't he? That yeah, was true. That wasn't a sacking. But the other ones, they've, they've, let, they've lost a lot of managers in recent years. So. Yeah. And there were boos at the game, I heard. I mean, I was expecting chronic micro-analysis in the media for months on end after that. You know, you know what happens when booing happens at stadiums. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, you know, there, there will be some analysis, yeah. analysis of that, of course, because the speculation about his future yeah. is, is a di- totally different kettle of fish to the few boos. I saw some comments by people like on Twitter and that sort of thing saying, you know, I can't believe it's only you know, these, these ungrateful fans were booing their manager a few weeks ago from Brighton. And now they're eighth or ninth in the Premier League. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. there were like hardly any fans booing. <laughs> Why can't people get that into their head? It was massively overdone by the media making a narrative for themselves when actually it's complete bollocks. Yeah. Uh, and the, that... Everton, the Everton fans only really booed their team at the end of the first half. Um, I didn't hear many moves at the end of the of the yeah. second half most of oh that doesn't matter that point, to be honest a tiny minuscule amount of booing is all it takes <laughs> from media One person circus booing means like a million people booed basically <laughs> media narrative generally but I, I it think really the telling, is incredible the, isn't it the, the, the telling point for me is one of the comments one of the Everton fans made was how many players would we take off of their team and have in our team one Dominic Calvert-Lewin how many would they take off of our team to have in their team they said five yeah and I think that's, that's a, a modest testament too. That I think just shows. If they watch where, us week to week. Yeah, because they can. One of them said they'd never heard of half of our players until we turned up. I think it was on Radio 5 Live, wasn't it? They'd done one of those phone ins after the match. And yeah. the, the Everton fans said there's about five players that we'd take off of that team. But I've never heard of half of them until they turned up. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if it's the same thing I heard, but I heard a, an Everton podcaster somewhere on a podcast it might have been on five live i'm not sure and he was saying he'd, he'd take virtually all the team so it might have been a different conversation but clearly somewhere along the line they're they're thinking under undervalued um but in, in terms of um 
the, the game. We'd never won at Everton, but we went in as slight favourites, despite being the away side. Um, that shows the mark of it. The, the, we've got far less resources in terms of what we spent on transfers. We were ahead of them, obviously, in the table, which and we were on better form, which is why we made favourites by a small margin. But it just shows um, how, how we've done and how they've been struggling recently. They were a poor side, I think, from what I saw on the pitch. Um, and as you said, there's a lack of unity. There's a lack of forward thinking there or, well, joined up thinking in terms of some of the decisions of where to play players on the pitch. Um, and doesn't look good for them. I, I think there's there's enough dirge below them for them not to really have to genuinely worry about the worst case scenario. Um, but I could see Rafa not lasting and, and another change of manager. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what they're thinking. It's the owners. But it's going to get difficult if the crowd get toxic, as we all know that never never ends well as soon as interesting as soon thing as is they turns. just bought their second player the transfer window they spent 25 million already this window which is odd to do if they were looking to sack Rafa soon um it, mm. they, that would suggest they have a club in in crisis a bit if they're if they're buying players while also planning to sack their manager and if they're not buying him then you you wonder what they're going to do I mean normally you'd expect his teams to be well organized but from the, the highlights I saw it didn't look well organized it didn't look good in defense we we come through the match the day analysis was basically like they couldn't deal with Mweku and McAllister positioning between their defensive midfield and no one really knew what to do about them. And it, yeah, from the bits I saw, they looked quite right. And that's not the sort of details his teams normally do. They're normally pretty well organised. And that's how he kept Newcastle up for quite a few years, quite comfortably. Yeah, I think the Evertonians, well, the... the Evertonians are basically saying that um, what they're playing is you know, early 2000s football versus what we're, the modern football. We're modern football. They're old-fashioned football, and we worked it out, and they haven't worked it out yet, and that's what they've been moaning. They think Rafa is like stuck in the past, and they're still trying to make it work, whereas it won't in the modern day. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how they see it. Well, I like the sound of that. Us being the modern football side and punching our way well, and you know, Graham Potter has steered himself away from the crisis of all those boos. You know, he's turned it around as if it needed turning around. It just needed stepping on a bit. Um, Seven points out of nine. We went up to eighth. We're back to ninth now because Wolves managed to win at another side who's got no kind of proper cohesion. Man United, um, even under the new guy, Ranić, it's not good. They're down to uh, seventh in the table. They're on 31 points. So that means we've gained three. We're only four behind United. And although Wolves have overtaken us, you know, in a way, I kind of quite like the fact that that keeps us four points away from the, the Europa Conference position in the table. It's brilliant. It's a double Exactly. And do, do, you know, for us to have Europe to chase, at least at this stage for now, is brilliant, isn't it? Can you imagine that? Halfway stage of the season we've reached. And um, it's all thanks to um, some, some good results recently. This game at Goodison, we, we've got to mention it now, the last goal of the game, the one that turned out to be the winner because Everton obviously pulled a goal back again, um, was, of course, um, the one that came from another great move. It was in the 71st minute. Um, again, Wepu with the assist, some good interplay. The ball comes across, and Wepu back heels it into space behind him. He knows someone's somewhere there. He back heels it to him. It turns out to be McAllister. And as we mentioned, he's he's found that space. He's got that little bit of extra room to get his shot off from distance. And he certainly did get his shot off from distance. And what has it been described by a friend of the show, a friend of us on WhatsApp, as um, we've got a new catchphrase? We've got to credit Josh with this. Um, what was it described as? It was the thunder bastard, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it, uh, basically just that shot from outside the uh, outside the area, and and actually, yeah, when we saw it on the WhatsApp 
sort of thing just sort of pop up. Yeah, no, no, that that did feel kind of appropriate. It, it, it certainly kind of went in, and uh, and certainly the uh, the faces on the Everton crowd and and several then chose to leave at that point as well. About seventy minutes in, didn't they? Yeah. So they missed. So they missed their consolation uh, goal and and that kind of tense bit at the end, but. Even then at 3-2, they were still leaving um, with about five minutes to go, weren't they? And, and they could have even got a point at the end of that match. But, they probably uh, don't regard a point at home to Brighton as particularly uh, worth staying for. Worth hanging on for, no, no. But but no, it was a great goal uh, and actually just sort of seeing that. And then the celebration right in front of us uh, was, no. was was great fun as well. Um, obviously, that was the one that they really got yeah. to celebrate in front of us rather than in front of the, the home crowd. So. Yeah. And that's the one the aforementioned Chris uh, took the photo of. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. great. But, but if you take that goal back a bit, to, I mean, the goal started with a clearance to, or a, or a pass to Malpe, didn't he? And Eden Malpe. And he was um, going on goal, good tackle. The guy cleared it, but yes. he didn't clear it properly. And then Dan Byrne mm. came steaming out of nowhere, picks it yeah. up. <laughs> and he kind of like, come on, Dan. And, and then he plays it out. To, I think he got to Trostar, didn't he? And then, you, you, don't, you don't, again, pitch side, you don't see it as well. But when you see it on TV, the way he picks out Wepu, he plays mm. it perfectly to him. You know, but it was Dan Byrne coming, charging in and just taking that ball and passing it on and keeping the move going, you know, that set that goal up. Yeah, yeah I was going to say the same, Fred, it looked like the forward from the clip I've seen was probably favourite and didn't put a lot of effort in and Byrne just, yeah. it was a really good bit of play. To yeah. be fair, he's had a, playing in his proper position the last three games, he's done really well playing an actual centre-half. Yeah. Dan Byrne, I mean, he, he's never going to be first choice for us, I don't think he's never going to be Premier League first choice, but he's a really good option as a as a backup in yeah. half. Not as a left back up against Traore of Wolves, but as a centre back, he's a really good option. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've two things on that. I mean, first of all, I think great move. Pete, you look at the goals we're scoring, the games, the play, the interplay we're doing. And um, Dave, friend of the show, who we had on a couple of the match day specials recently from Hampshire, who you guys all know, um, good lad, and he posed the question on WhatsApp. The other day, is Potter the best manager of all time or who is the best manager of all time? I think you've got to say it is Graham Potter now because he's playing this level of football in this division, in this era with some really good teams this season. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing as well as we've, if we carry on course as we are now, that's going to be the best we've ever been position-wise as a finishing position comfortably and playing better football than we did in our current record highest position which was under Mike Bailey so mm. I know you could put it all in context Gus Poyet who was actually the pundit on the Chelsea game by the way and said he loved both teams but he had to side with Chelsea in the end which is fair enough um you know Gus Poyet did great stuff for us he turned our culture around to playing good football again which we hadn't done for some time and got us promoted and got us settled in the championship and nearly promoted and you've got other people that have saved the club you know you've got to say Steve Grit in a very short microcosm of time did a brilliant job for a particular moment, but you can't really argue, can you, with this? I mean, the football's just so good. I love watching it. Mm. And those, all of those goals, I mean, the goal of the season competition this year is going to be brilliant. I mean, look at it. You've got Mwepu at Liverpool. You've got the mm. pay goals against Southampton and particularly prior to that against West Ham. You've got um, uh, definitely the goal from Sunday in there, McAllister, yeah. brilliant yeah. shot again. The two Brentford probably... ones were both, like, both, I'm still amazed yeah. that West Ham the goal of the month. But Trossards against um, Brentford and Mopes as well were not included in the, the run. And, and Trossards against Brentford in the previous game yeah. as well. Yeah, lots, lots of great goals. It's going to be, it's going to be a great season here. Um, I don't know how far we'll go in the league, but I'm really hoping now that we've got past that intense period of games that we can now 
um, actually give it a good run in the cup. I don't know because there's still quite a few people we're trying to manage through mm. through that um, intense period, whether we're going to have a strong team out there. West Brom have got some danger going forward. We'll do a separate preview podcast, so we won't go into it in too much detail, but they've got some firepower. Callum Robinson, they've got Diagne's back in. Um, oh, sorry, Diagana, sorry, his name. Um, and, and they just signed um, Daryl D- 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 Daryl DK. Who, who, of course, their manager had at Barnsley, who's who's scored seven goals in half a season and set up quite a few goals. He's not bad. He's come back from America, and they've got obviously um, they've got um, Colin Grant scoring a lot of goals. So I I don't know who they're going to play, but they've got four good attacking players there. So we need to have a decent squad out for that one. Um, yeah. But the beauty is we're getting we're getting goals from all over now. Two goals from McAllister in this game. You got one from Dan Byrne. We're we're getting goals from all over, and I mm. think that's been as much as anything has been the problem. We haven't scored enough goals from midfield. So McAllister getting two goals today, which is uh, on Sunday, which is actually four for the season, if you count the League Cup matches and whatever. Um, you know, that's that's not bad. That We need more of that. And he's mm. getting his run in the team. I think it's great. Lallana's really having an influence now. Since he's been captain, he's been involved in these last games. Mm. It's no coincidence we've done well with him as well. He even got some shots on target recently. <laughs> It's scary, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Have you seen the strength of our bench as well? Well, that's what we said on every, when we were watching yeah. the warm-up. Yeah. Yeah. We looked at the, the bench, and we looked at we looked at that little. You know, they always have the the subs always warm up on their own, and yeah. um, we were watching them. We go, we've never had a bench that strong before. Yeah. Tarek Lamptey exactly. on the bench, you know, Danny Welbeck on the bench, Duffy on the bench. You know, you sit and they go like that team put that lot out against West Brom. We should win yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and, we, and we the other thing. Sorry, the other yeah, thing we're sorry, saying yeah. is West Brom are doing, they're having a decent season in the championship. So for them, the real prize is getting into the Premier League. So they might also be putting out a slightly weakened team as well. Uh, so there's it, that to bear in mind too. Just, yeah. that might I play think they're, without, they're without at least, I think, assuming the suspensions that are to the last game apply, they're without their keeper and without one of their midfielders. I would assume that both Malumbi and Clark won't be allowed to play. You never know with yeah. what, what's agreed in loan deals. So that'll be fair. Yeah, the- four players will be out. Definitely. The lineup, by the way, um, we didn't mention it in full, was um, for the Everton game was Sanchez, Veltman, Webster, Byrne, Kukurea, Mwepu, Lalana as, as captain, Basuma, McAllister, uh, Morpay, and Trossard, with Duffy coming on for Veltman um, and Lamptey coming on for Lalana on 61 minutes, Moda coming on on 81 for Trossard. But looking at that subspench, you talked about the bench. The bench was Lamptey, Grosh, Moda, Alzate, Welbeck, March. Steele, obviously, as a goalie, Duffy and Richards, um, mm. who's the pick of the, of the youth players. Um, that's brilliant, isn't it? It's really, you look really on good. top of that as well, you look at the lone players, you look at the likes of, I mean, Clark and Malumbi may not be coming back, but you, you've got like Van Heck doing so well at Blackburn, Kadra doing well at Blackburn, Mitoma doing well in the Belgian league, Sakiri having some quite good performances in the German league. You know, hopefully, Seema will get fit and will be available and do quite well back at Stokes last season. It's, you know, we've got so many players who are you know, kind of out on loan doing quite well as well. And it's, it's actually, you know, really good for the, the future that, you know, there is this production line that hopefully will start to, to bear fruit. If we somehow manage to find a striker through that, that'll be amazing. Yeah. To say yeah. that as well, and maybe this Polish guy we're trying to sign if he, if he comes through as well. You know, we've actually, we're actually be making ourselves quite a big, you know, a, a good option for young players who want to have a chance and come, yeah. come through. Kovlovsky, is it the guy I think, the Polish guy? I think yeah, I'm right. not sure anyway. exactly yeah, yeah. The, 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 the game, by the way, I mentioned the subs on 61 minutes. I mean, that was great. Graham Potter within about five, six minutes of 
um, some changes going on their way to try and change the game and shake things up. We made that there was a change going on within the match, and he makes those subs pretty quickly. He's straight on it. I know sometimes he has been, sometimes he hasn't been, but he was right on it in this game, wasn't he? He made sure we saw this game out. We ground out the win in the end, and we deserved it. And it was great that a goal like McAllister's second was was the one to settle it. But um, we game managed it. I, I wouldn't say perfectly because we did let them back in to some degree on two occasions, but. Um, I think in the end, we saw the game out. We got that result and that's what we made of. We got some metal, haven't we, this team, mm. um, which is great. Um, before we finish, guys, because I know you guys have got to shoot off in a minute and also we better round this off anyway in general. A um, couple of bits of news. I mean, we've got to mention Davy Proper. This is today as we record, which mm. is Tuesday evening. Um, we've heard today uh, that mm. Davy Proper has, um, has retired from football. He had mm. about a year and a yeah. half left on his PSV mm. contract. Uh, he moved back to Holland, uh, his native Holland, after leaving us. Um, and he's uh, decided to call it a day. He's, um, he's kind of um, written off the rest of his contract and um, he's decided to pursue other avenues, whatever they may be. And he's basically done with football. I think the general, there's some interesting articles out there, but the general thrust of it seems to be that he, I don't think he's really into the whole kind of the dynamic of the football culture, the dressing room culture. I think he lost his way a little bit with the game in terms of not loving it so much. And also he's had some injuries which have hindered his, his kind of his flow and his progress um, since he was with us. Um, it's a shame to see, isn't it? I mean, if it's the right decision for him, then fair enough. And mm. we wish him the best, of course. But it's a shame to see him not be able to fulfil the full, you know, natural length of his uh, mm. of his career in terms of his uh, active years. Um, what did he make of it, guys? Because, I mean, he was a good player for us, wasn't he? Yeah, he I, it's some important years that he contributed towards in um you know, at the beginning of the Premier League, but also the end of the Championship years as well. Uh, so, yeah, a lot, a lot to be thankful to him for. Uh, and yeah, from my understanding, is it's about his own mental health and well-being. Uh, and you know, uh, I, I remember someone telling me once, if we're on our deathbed, we'll never say, "Oh, I wish I just spent one extra day at work." Um, but the thing that we'll <laughs> say is, "I wish I'd spent a bit more time with the family, or I'd gone on that holiday, or yeah. or something else." So, so for him, actually, it's about what, what's he going to do with the rest of his life, uh, and. And yeah, if, if he's fallen out of love with the game, um, wish him all the best. And, uh, and and obviously we thanked him at the time when he left. Um, hopefully uh, he can go on and, and do some great things in the rest of what he does now. Hmm. Always remember Nick? those tackles against Tottenham, wasn't it? Oh, yes. That's brilliant. His highlight's real. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Was that the double foul thing? Yeah, the double foul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's great. He really got stuck in. But he seemed... Um, I mean, Dave, David Townsend, friend of the show, he's been on a couple of times. I mean, he, he said he seemed to be quite a quite a graceful and elegant player on the ball. He, he had some good techniques. Didn't he? There was a goal where he hit the ball with the outside of his foot, and I think Grosch went on to At score. United, I can't remember. The way to the United, United game. Go, yeah. yeah, beautiful goal, really well played out um, move. And he had that technique about him. He obviously has a good lad and all that mm. sort of stuff. Interesting hairstyles. Um, <laughs> quite big hair on occasion. Um, not that we can say that really with Cucurella in the squad, which is Glenn Murray with a wig on, uh, according to Twitter users, which is not a bad shout. Uh, but anyway, that's digression. Uh, but no, he, uh, but Proper was a... Uh, David Proper, I think is the correct yeah. pronunciation. Um, he's, yeah, he's, he's a you great player. You never say his full um, name. No, because we want to stop this podcast becoming too long. <laughs> um, you can if you want. Wenceslas something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But he, no, he seems a good lad. He seems a good professional. Nobody seems to have a bad word to say about him. And it's a shame. But he was part of our transition into the Premier League. And he, 
I think it shows how far we've come. You talked about the squad there, Nick. And Basuma, and I know we might lose him eventually. It seems inevitable. He's a world-class player, quite frankly. But Basuma filled the next step on that midfield pathway because we had Proper and the likes of Stevens playing regularly. And, and, and they were essentially, they were um, kind of doing two jobs in the midfield. And Basuma's come in and has effectively done the one job uh, on his own, which is uh, which shows the measure of the quality we're now upgrading to. But when all said and done, they, they were good enough to play in the, in the Premier League. Um, yes, it was transitional for us as we're moving to try and step on. But they kept us in the Prem, that team, with the likes of Stevens and the likes of Proper. And um, it's hats off to them, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it might be coming towards the end for another of that, that group, Grosh, I wonder. He, he's not, not started for a while. And I wonder if he... I think he's out of contract in the season, so I'm wondering whether he might be moving back to Germany at the end of the season. But he's another one who, you know, value-wise, but I can't, you know, we spent £3 million on him and he's got too many goals and assists over the years, but maybe the team's moved on a little bit too far for him as he's got that bit older and probably less effective, lost his, you know, natural pace. Um, maybe the rest of the, uh, the the rest of the team's moved forward a bit and maybe time for him to go. But again, he's been another one who was a fantastic servant. You look at the players we bought that first season, Likes of Ryan, um, yeah, kind of Izquierdo as well. He's one who really would have probably gone on to do even more if he'd not been injured. Um, yeah, proper Grosh. We've had some brilliant signings that first season up. Yeah, so we wish him very well. Um, any more Albion news we think of we can add in on the next episode. But um, yeah. that pretty much sums it up. Unless you guys have got any further thoughts on either the Everton game or Albion no. in general. No, well, we're, we're, we're off to West Brom on Saturday, so we're looking forward to that. For me, it's the first oh, time I've been to the game. ground. Yeah, oh, yeah. Really? but again, my tickets still haven't arrived because we ordered them oh, no. at the same time as the other ones. But the same yet. problem again. Yeah, yeah, oh, but, no. uh, but, th- but this time um, I, I'll have a bit more time to contact the, the ticket office. But um, but yeah, but no, looking forward to that. Uh, as we'll, we'll be able to give you a bit a few thoughts after the match, maybe. Yeah, and if yeah. anyone knows any decent pubs down in West Brom, please let us know. Oh, you've got going to Birmingham. It's, it's, yeah, it's the, um, I've not it's the seen the West Bromwich itself. As if you guys need to be told, honestly. <laughs> yeah, the Wellington. There's a few. Actually, there's a couple of new ones that I don't think you've been to yet, Nick. I'll send you some details. Yeah, yeah, some some great boozers around the area in Birmingham. Not just down the road, isn't it? Just a short way. I think it's the highest ground amongst professional clubs, isn't it? As well, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Either yeah. that or Oldham. There's like a debate between the two, isn't there? I think, I think it's mm. higher than Oldham, isn't it? But it's Oldham's higher. colder. Yeah, it's Oldham's colder. colder than everywhere. I think Oldham's colder than Oldham. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the highest the highest ground in the country is somewhere else, though. Overall, I think was it Banbury? Somebody in the FA Cup, funnily enough. Um, they, um, they were covering it on live and they've mentioned highest ground in the country. I think it was Banbury. It might have been somebody else. I'm not sure. But um, anyway, enjoy the game, folks. Hope it, hopefully we'll get... Um, we'll bring back the three points, as Ashley Barnes would say. <laughs> it be nice I'm to have a decent cup. cup run this year, though, given the fact we're reasonably safe. And we're back to close yeah. strength. Absolutely. Yeah. We're not going to have a much yeah. better chance, I don't think, to really have to give the cup a go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the only drawback is Anthony might be coming back from his loan. We might play him against West Brom. And last time we should have got sent off. The it's fine. He won't get sent off. He'll just get a three-game ban afterwards. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Retrospective ban. Oh dear. Never mind. <laughs> and it's um, and of course it's um, no replays. So you, you might be able to see uh, extra time and penalties. Yeah, yeah. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. There we go. Is it extra time as well? Definitely. I, I don't know. I assume so, but I've yeah, not. It probably is. Definitely, definitely day, no replays. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
you'll, you'll see a lot more football than we are at the moment then, boys. Yeah. So enjoy the game. Oh, it's just that, a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Hopefully, we just weren't test positive between now and then. That's that's the only thing. There was I noticed a lot of empty seats actually in the Everton away end. Um, that, I suppose that's the only thing sort of affecting uh, that, that maybe we haven't yeah. talked about Brighton News and other things. Just sort of number of empty seats and. Uh, uh, it, it's really yeah, it's like the one time I went there, you probably weren't test positive beforehand, to be honest. Yeah, listening to the Brentford podcast recently. On the Brentford podcast recent, I just caught one of the ones recently. They were saying um, excuses for Brighton's ground being so empty. No, they're not excuses. They're reasons, boys. Get it right. Anyway, but that's another matter. But anyway, no, thanks again for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you guys on, to have a bit of the Northwest about us, in a manner of speaking, particularly Nick's pseudo kind of like Southern and Northwest accent. I love your accent, Nick. It's great. <laughs> But no, cheers guys for being on and we'll um, we'll be back with our next episode, which will be a preview of the West Brom game in due course. So until then, we'll sign out in our usual way. Peter, won't we by saying stand or fall? Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.